0: Please turn in them to Psalm 122. We're continuing to look at a variety of psalms as we close out the summer. Psalm 122 is one of the psalms of ascent. We're told that because it tells us that in the superscription there at the very beginning of the psalm. It tells us that it is a a song of ascent, a song of going up. That's what that word means, a song of ascent of David. There are several Psalms of Ascent in the Bible, uh, namely Psalms 120 through 134, but there are a number of other Psalms of Ascent in the book of Psalms earlier. As a type of Psalm, these Ascent Psalms are known to have been the songs that the Jewish pilgrims would have sung as they journeyed towards Jerusalem to take part in any one of their several annual Jewish feast that they would have there in Jerusalem. Jerusalem sits on a mountain, and as these pilgrims made their pilgrimage to Jerusalem, as they made their way up to Jerusalem, as they were going up, they'd sing these songs in order to prepare their hearts for worship, to prepare their hearts for making sacrifices and celebrating in these feasts together in worship and honor of the Lord. And so these songs help them to focus their minds and to focus their hearts on gathering with the community of Israel and worshiping Yahweh together. Now, these Psalms of Ascent are not all the same. Um, As a genre unto themselves, they also qualify for uh, a variety of other genres of psalms. Many of these Psalms of Ascent could also qualify as Psalms of Lament Some of them are also psalms of praise and wisdom songs and psalms of uh, thanksgiving. But all of them have as their focus the readying of the pilgrims for the gathering of God's people in worship of Yahweh in Jerusalem at the temple. And these pilgrims came from all walks of life and they came from all seasons of life. Some of them were undergoing deep times of suffering, hard times. And so some of the Psalms of Ascent that also included lament would, would give voice to the cry of their heart and would prepare them for worship. Others of these pilgrims were in experiencing times of prosperity and, and good things for which thanksgiving in these Psalms would have reminded them that that Yahweh was the source of all blessing and the reason to give thanks. And so they too would be prepared to come and worship Yahweh together. Still others were being attacked by various enemies in the lands in which they had journeyed from. And these Psalms of Ascent that reminded them that Yahweh was a strong tower and a strong fortress would would settle their anxious hearts and prepare them to come to Jerusalem and worship the Lord. No matter what was going on in their life, no matter what they were thinking about and what, was, what, what they were concerned about, as they journeyed towards Jerusalem, they would sing these songs and it would ready them, it would prepare them to worship the Lord among the gathering of God's people. Now, we know as New Testament Christians, we no longer make those pilgrimages to Jerusalem in order to celebrate these annual feasts and to worship in the temple and if we were to pilgrimage there there wouldn't be a temple in which to worship the temple was destroyed in 70 AD as we know but we're nonetheless on a pilgrimage we each of us make pilgrimages each week to the gathering of the saints to meet with God's people in God's house, to worship Him among the community of the redeemed, to give Him thanks and to honor Him. Each Lord's Day, we leave our homes, we leave our daily lives and our daily responsibilities, and we come together here, and we come together with whatever the week has served to us, whether it is good and prosperity or suffering and persecution and hard times, We bring that with us and we do our best to lay that stuff down so that we can focus on worshiping the Lord and giving him thanks as we gather together in this place. So I believe that the Psalms of Ascent have much to offer us as we make our pilgrimages each week. But friend, we're also on a longer pilgrimage. A pilgrimage, a journey to another Jerusalem. Jerusalem to the city of Zion, to to that new city of David that we sang about earlier, the new Jerusalem that will come down out of heaven in the final state. We who love Jesus and long for his return are on that journey to the new Jerusalem. And our journey towards that new Zion, like our journey each week, has many ups and downs and twists and turns. And so... These Psalms of Ascent also have much to commend of them for our journey together toward that destination. So this morning, we're going to read this one of these Psalms of Ascent, namely Psalm 122. And may God bless the reading of his word. A song of ascents of David. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions sake, I will say peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord, our God, I will seek your good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege it's been this morning to worship you through song, to worship you as we uh, see you in the bread and the juice and father now we worship you as we look to your word with hope and faith father that it might equip the saints that it might encourage the saints that it might challenge and rebuke the saints where they need to be rebuked and father that it might you might use your word to call sinners to faith in your son jesus christ we continue Father, in that spirit of worship, as we look now to your word, would you speak to us from it? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before we get started in unpacking some of the details of Psalm 122, we need to wrestle with the phrase, the house of the Lord. We see that phrase three times in this psalm. Twice it's mentioned the house of the Lord, once the house of David And then we also see uh, Jerusalem itself referred to three additional times. And so we've got the house of the Lord. We've got Jerusalem as a city referred to multiple times here. So what's it referring to? The house of the Lord more than likely referred to the temple itself there in Jerusalem. Whether it was the first temple that was built by David's son Solomon or whether it was the rebuilt temple, the second temple that was built by those returning from exile. But during David's day, when he wrote this, there was no temple. There was the promise of a temple. And so perhaps as David is writing this, he's either referring here to the tabernacle that that predated the temple, or Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's looking forward to a day when his fellow Israelites would pilgrimage, would go on pilgrimages to the city of David, to Jerusalem, to worship in the temple that would one day stand. But as we've already mentioned, the temple no longer stands for us. It's not there. If we were to go to Jerusalem, it's not there. We don't travel to Jerusalem to worship and offer sacrifices. Why? Because Jesus has done that for us. He's gone to the city of David as the one who would sit forever on that throne, and he has offered that once for all sacrifice. No more sacrifices are needed. And so we don't even need a temple. It's not there if we were to even travel there. And so. I've already tipped my hand as to how I would understand this phrase. We can't understand it through just that Old Testament lens. We need a New Testament lens because the temple's not there and sacrifices aren't being offered there. So what is that New Testament lens with which we understand Psalm 122 that gives us the key to interpreting this psalm? I think for New Testament Christians, there's a there's both a primary reference and a secondary reference or to to understand it a different way. We can seek to understand this psalm or particularly that phrase, the house of the Lord, by seeing a picture in the foreground and then behind that in the distance, faded but still there, another picture in the background. The picture in the foreground, and we see it in clear focus because it's the context in which we live, is the New Testament church. That the house of the Lord, at least in this psalm, is the church. And that, that picture in focus is the gathering of the saints. But there's a picture in the background as well. And that is of our journey to that new Zion, the, the city of David, the new Jerusalem that is going to come that we sang about earlier And that picture, of course, is more out of focus because we don't live in it. It's not the here and now. It's harder for us to grasp and see. Now, I think we should be careful about seeing the New Testament church as a reflection of or or as the New Testament counterpart to the temple. Because there is no more need for a temple. There is no need for a temple in which to offer sacrifices because Jesus offered himself as the once-for-all sacrifice. But but with that warning in mind, in this instance, where the context here in Psalm 122 is clearly about God's people going on a journey to gather with other God's people in order to come together and worship God, I think that it is right and appropriate for us to read this psalm and, and hear a reference to the gathering of the saints, the ecclesia, as the New Testament calls it, the church. We certainly see the New Testament referring to the church as a house, as a temple. Peter writes in 1 Peter 2:5: "...you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood and to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ." You're being built into a spiritual house, he says. Paul writes in Ephesians 2, "...so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure," talking about the church here, "...being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord." In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. Now, when we talk about the church being the house of the Lord, we need to remind ourselves that this is not a physical temple, a physical house, but a spiritual house. You don't need a, a building to be a church. We modeled that for many years in our history as a church, as we met in rented facilities here and there. You don't need a building to be a church. All you need is the gathering, the gathering of the saints, the gathering of God's people. Normally that takes place in some sort of building or structure, but the church itself is not a building. And so the reference here in Psalm 122 to the house of the Lord, is not a reference to a physical place, or, or uh, a place of bricks and mortar for us as New Testament readers, or a cathedral of any kind, but rather simply to the gathering of the community of believers known as the church. And so that's going to be our primary means of approaching this psalm and understanding the church in the foreground. But there will always be there in the background, faded and out of focus, but still there, the eschaton the last days, uh, the new Zion, the city of David that is going to come um, in a, a place in which that new Jerusalem, in which there is no need for a temple because Revelation reminds us that the temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And as I mentioned earlier, all of us who claim Jesus as Lord, we're on a journey, a pilgrimage towards that city as well. And so for the purpose of our exposition of this psalm, we'll see the church, the gathering of the saints in the foreground, but we're going to see that pilgrimage to Zion in the background as well. And and, and so with that understanding of the house of the Lord, the, the meaning and structure of Psalm 122 begins to fall into place for us. I see it fall into three main sections or parts. First in verses one and two, we see David's gladness in going to the house of the Lord, Secondly, in verses 3 through 4, we see the ground or the reason for his gladness in the house of the Lord. And then in verses 6 through 9, we, we hear David call for peace and security in the house of the Lord. That first part there is about the heart. And we're going, to, we're going to hear what David feels about the house of the Lord. And our aim will be to feel what he feels. And if we don't, then we will need to examine our heart. The second part is about our head, our mind, our beliefs. And we're going to hear about what David knows to be true about the house of the Lord, what he believes to be true about the house of the Lord. And if we don't find ourselves affirming the same things, then we need to examine our own beliefs. And then that third part is about actions where we learn what David does. And so our aim there will be to do what he does. And if we don't, we will need to examine our actions. So let's look at each of these in a bit greater detail. First of all, in verses 1 and 2, we see David's gladness in going to the house of the Lord. He says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. The Hebrew grammar there literally reads, I was glad as often as they said to me. Let us go to the house of our Lord, insinuating that this happen, happened often. And when it did, he was glad in his soul. Note that David there refers to the community of God's people with plural pronouns. They, us, our. But then he also refers to the individual joining with that community. As he says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And so the picture here is that of the individual joining with the community of God's people and going to worship the Lord in his house. And they've they've just arrived there in verse 2. That's the joy of arrival. They've been on this long journey. They've traveled far. They're tired. And now they're here. They're within the gates. And we see the the joy exuded in him there in verses 1 and 2. He's glad. Now, what is this gladness that David feels here, and what is it not? Well, the word for uh, glad here could also mean rejoice. In fact, some of your translations may have even translated that way. The NIV says, I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And so it is It is an expression of joy, but It doesn't mean that all of David's problems are all sorted out. And it doesn't mean that his troubles have all vanished. Nor does it mean that he's putting on a fake smile and pretending as if his troubles and his problems don't bother him. No, there's nothing superficial or plastic about this gladness. It is deep and real and solid. I was glad. I rejoiced. Deep, real joy welled up in my soul when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I wonder, is that the way that you feel about gathering with the saints on Sunday, on the Lord's Day? Is that the way you approach Sunday morning? Are you glad when they say to you, let's go to church I know that for many of our families, gladness may not be the word that you choose to to describe your heart attitude when you have to get the kids up and get them out of bed and get them to eat something and get their clothes on, get them in the car, and the myriad of other things that you have to do in order to get your family ready to come to the gathering of the saints. Listen, I understand that sometimes frantic chaos of Sunday mornings. Actually, I don't know a thing about it, actually, because I've never had to deal with that. But Susan does. Susan understands (laughs) the frantic chaos that Sunday mornings can sometimes be. But setting those things aside for a moment. Friend, does going to the gathering of God's people make you glad? Does it make you glad? Does your soul rejoice at the prospect of going to church and gathering with God's people to worship your God? Are you here because you have to be? Someone made you come. It's okay, kids, I understand. Or because you feel like you should. Or because you want to be here And you couldn't be kept away. To the degree that the gathering with the saints to worship the Lord doesn't elicit gladness in your soul is the degree to which we should examine our hearts. Because that may be an indication of a heart problem. And the problem with our hearts is that we are prone to many idols. As John Calvin Calvin famously said about the human heart, it is an idol factory. We will worship something or someone. We will find something or someone to give our hearts to and devote ourselves to. We are made to worship. It's built into our DNA. And so we're going to worship something. And idols are the things that we worship and devote ourselves to other than God. What are the idols in your heart that might be competing for the gladness that should be ours at the gathering of the saints for the worship of God? If gathering with God's people in God's house to offer worship to God doesn't elicit gladness in your soul, what does? Your answer to that question might reveal an idol. This is one of the blessings, I think, of the pandemic and the time that we spent apart. I think the adage held true in that time that absence made the heart grow fonder. Did we not grow in our appreciation for the gathering of the saints to worship the Lord? And boy, weren't we glad, weren't we glad when we came back together? And church, just imagine that gladness multiplied by a million times when we enter the new Zion together one day where we will be reunited not just with one another but with all the redeemed of all the ages as we meet with our Savior in that new city forever worshiping Him in everlasting joy. Christian, let's throw down our idols Let's rid ourselves of the pursuits that distract us from finding joy and gladness in the gathering of the saints for the worship of God. There in part two, in the next three verses, verses three through five, we're told about the ground of David's gladness in the house of the Lord and going to the house of the Lord. It's one thing to have your heart right. It's another thing if the gathering of the saints doesn't deliver what it's supposed to deliver. That's not to say that the gathering of the saints is supposed to be about entertainment. Believe me, Old Testament worship in the temple was not entertaining in the least. Worship in the temple was about sacrifice, and that sacrifice was about giving of your flock and your herd to be cut open and bled on the altar. Temple worship was bloody and sacrificial and costly, and it was the furthest thing from entertainment. But still, there were some elements about the house of the Lord that David talks about in verses 3 through 5 that are at least in part the ground or the reasons for his gladness in the house of the Lord. And in these four verses, I find four of these elements, order, unity, worship, and leadership. Let me show you where I see them in the scriptures. First, there was order in the house of the Lord. Look at verse 3. He says, Jerusalem... Built as a city that is bound firmly together. Jerusalem was not a large, sprawling metropolis. It was a tight, compacted cities with, with walls and gates and foundations. It wasn't a hodgepodge of tents that were thrown together in one place. There was an order to Jerusalem. And likewise, there is order when we come together as God's people. It's not Haphazard. It's not frantic and chaotic. It is ordered. And it's ordered not by our human preference or even by our perceived needs, but it's ordered by the Word of God. And that order ought to elicit gladness from us, as it did for David. Secondly, there was unity on display in the house of the Lord. Look at the beginning of verse 4. He says, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord. Who are these? Well, these are the tribes of Israel. There were 12 of these tribes. And by this point, they had lived in the land of Canaan for some 450 years. So it wasn't just the 12 sons of Jacob. This is many, 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 many generations that they had lived as separate tribes in the land of Canaan. And by this time, by the time of the writing of this psalm, They were as if 12 different peoples, and they had their own unique customs and habits, and they were different and diverse, but they all came together for these feasts. And when they stepped within the gates of Jerusalem, they were one people. All of these differences were set aside. They took a back seat, and they were one people. United by their common faith in Yahweh. Friend, this kind of unity ought to be on display in the New Testament church even more. This is why Paul said to the Galatian church in Galatians 3.28, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For all are one in Christ. Paul also talks about how jesus when he died on the cross in ephesians 2 he writes how when jesus died on a cross he broke down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility when we come to church we we are a diverse people not as diverse as i would hope not as diverse as the kingdom of heaven will be one day but we are not all alike Different backgrounds, different upbringings, different socioeconomic statuses, different likes, different dislikes, different personalities, and all of that. But when we gather in God's house, we are united by our common faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're united by the gospel itself. We are made one in Christ. And that unity not only pleases the Lord but it makes us glad. And so there's order in the house of the Lord, there's unity in the house of the Lord, but thirdly, and most importantly, there was worship in the house of the Lord. Indeed, this was the primary reason for their gathering, as it was decreed by God himself for them to do so. As the end of verse 4 says, as was decreed. So the 12 tribes Meet and gather up in the city of David as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. The Lord had decreed for them through the prophets and the law that they would gather as 12 tribes together in the city of David to worship God and to give him thanks. Church, the reason that we gather as God's people each Lord's day is not primarily about building community or being encouraged in our walks with Christ or about learning more about the Bible or about getting inspired in some way or taking part in some kind of religious practice even that of putting something in the offering plate. No, the primary reason why we gather on the Lord's Day is to worship the God who made us for his own glory, to exalt his name, to lift high the name of the one who deserves every ounce of worship we could ever offer him in a million lifetimes. We gather to glorify our glorious and sovereign Lord And church, to quote the venerable John Piper, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Which means, and don't miss this, if our greatest satisfaction or our highest good is wrapped up in the magnification of the glory of God, then when God's people gather To give him his due worship, we ought to be supremely glad. If if, If our satisfaction, our highest joy in life is wrapped up in the magnification of the glory of God, then when he gets that from God's people, that ought to make us glad, supremely glad. But if the worship of God among the gathering of the saints does not elicit Gladness from us, or if it takes some kind of entertainment from the church to elicit that gladness from us, then we need to probably repent of worshiping something other than the God of the Bible. So there's order, there's unity, there's worship, and then the final element of the house of the Lord that David refers to in this section is leadership. There was leadership for the governing of the house of the Lord. Verse 5, there thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. God always provided his children with leaders to shepherd them and to care for them and lead them and govern them, whether it was the prophets or the judges, the mighty men of valor or the kings that followed them. And beginning with David, as we know, and leading up to the time of the exile, Israel had kings. And when there were good kings, the people were glad, and when there were bad kings, the people lamented. But the people were not left to themselves without a shepherd and without leadership. And neither is the New Testament church. By God's design and by His favor, we are not left without shepherds. God is called and set apart and gifted and qualified according to Scripture shepherds to lead the flock, feed the flock, care for the flock, guide the flock. And those men that God has raised up to lead in this way are a blessing to the New Testament church and ought to make us glad. So these four truths that we find in these three verses here, the order of the house, the unity in the house, the worship that took place in the house, and the leadership to govern the house, are not meant by David to be an exhaustive list, but rather, uh, poetically, they represent, at least for him, that there was good reason, there was good ground for him being glad when they said, let's go to the house of the Lord to worship him. But let's face it. Sometimes there's more disorder in the church than order. Sometimes there's more disunity than there is unity. Our worship is never perfect and our leadership often leaves much to be desired. And why? Because we're sinners. Redeemed by a Savior, but yet riddled with a sin nature nonetheless. And as heirs of the fall, everything that we undertake and everything that we touch bears the effect of the curse of the fall. And so our church and every church is woefully imperfect. Our order is imperfect. Our unity is not all that it should be. Our worship is never perfect and our leadership is woefully imperfect. Imperfect, at least in this regard. But in the background of Psalm 122, remember what we see. We see a reminder that all of these imperfections of the New Testament church, this church and every church, that the imperfections are pointing to the New Jerusalem, where there will be perfect order where there will be in christ as king perfect unity well where the worship will far outweigh anything that we've seen or heard in this life and there where there will be perfection of leadership in our returning king so let's see in the foreground that Church, there's many reasons for us to be glad about coming to the house of the Lord and the gathering of the saints for the worship of God, but to the degree that those reasons fall short in the church. Remember that we see another Zion in the background. Faded and far off, but it's there. And as we journey to this gathering of the saints each Lord's Lord's Day, be reminded that we're on a longer journey, a greater journey, to that city of David. And the prospect of arriving at that city and standing within its gates ought to make us supremely glad. And then these last four verses in this psalm, this part three, we hear David call for peace in the house of the Lord. So in verses one and two, we saw a, we got a peek into David's heart. And, and we, we saw that he was glad about coming to the house of, of the Lord with God's people and we were led to examine our hearts are we made glad in the gathering of the saints and if not why not in verses three through five we got a peek into David's mind and his beliefs about what is good about the house of the Lord and we were challenged to examine our own beliefs do we believe that it is good that God provides order in the house and unity and worship and leadership for the house And now in verses 6 through 9, we get a peek at what David does. We look at his actions. And what does David do here? He commands his hearers to pray for peace in Jerusalem. He calls for peace and he works for peace in the house of the Lord. We see in verses 6 and 7 a command. He is commanding his hearers to pray for peace in Jerusalem. And again, that doesn't mean that we pray for the modern-day Jerusalem for peace to be there any more than we would pray for peace here or anywhere else in the world but for new testament believers reading this through a new testament lens this is a call for us to pray for peace in the church to pray for peace in the body of christ in verse 8 he gives us a one another motive for this peace he says for my brothers and companions sake i will say peace be within you And then in verse 9, we see him working, not just praying, not just calling others to pray, but working for the sake of God's people, church. We ought to pray for, and we ought to work towards peace in the body of Christ in God's house. But what is the connection here? Let's step back for a moment. What's the connection here between David's gladness and going to the house of the Lord and his calling for peace and security within the gates and walls of Jerusalem. What's the nature of the connection between those two thoughts? How does one affect the other? When we find joy in something, we will do whatever we have to do to keep that going, right? And if it breaks, if it... If it Begins to fall into disrepair and begins to fade, we'll work hard to fix it. We'll work hard to restore it because we find joy in it. It holds true for our tri- prized possessions, it, it holds true for our most treasured relationships. Let's say you have a dear friend in which you derive much joy in that friendship with them, but something goes awry, something goes wrong and it hurts that friendship, you will work hard to seek to restore it. I think that's what's happening here for David in these verses. He finds great joy and gladness in coming to God's house with God's people in coming to Jerusalem and worshiping Yahweh together with God's people. But then he also sees a great need for peace in Jerusalem and throughout most of recorded history there has been a great need for peace in Jerusalem there may have been a relative peace during Jeru- in Jerusalem during David's day or at least during part of his reign as king But perhaps David is looking here over the horizon of history and he sees there the lack of peace and the turmoil and the violence within her walls. And he commands God's people to pray and work towards peace. Was it not Jesus himself who wept over Jerusalem? First in Luke 19, excuse me, Luke 13, verse 34 he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. Certainly doesn't sound like there was peace in Jerusalem during Jesus's day. And then Jesus weeps over Jerusalem again in Luke 19. And here he's entering into Jerusalem for the last time of his earthly ministry. Listen to verses 41 and following. When Jesus drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. He was referring to himself. But now they are hidden from your eyes, he says. For the day will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. See, a prince of peace was coming. David knew of it. Because there was no peace in Jerusalem and there was no peace between God and man. And so God sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the gift of peace, And peace was made through atonement and sacrifice. And so should we pray and work towards peace in the body of Christ without question? And perhaps that is your takeaway this morning, that you would resolve yourself to be a peacemaker and a prayer of peace for our church. But friend, there will be no perfect peace in the church this side of heaven. Because we have a sinful flesh that is driven toward war and not peace. That is driven toward self-satisfaction and not self-sacrifice. We have a nature that seeks to defend itself, not turn the other cheek like our Lord did. So there will never be perfect peace in this church or any church, this side of heaven. And so we journey on, right? We continue on our pilgrimage to another Zion, to the new Jerusalem, the city of David, where the king of peace will reign supreme. May our imperfect gladness in the gathering of the saints here in coming to this house with these saints. May our imperfect gladness in that remind us of the perfect gladness that we will know when we gather with the redeemed of all the ages in that Zion. And and, and may our imperfect churches remind us of that perfect city that is coming. And may our prayers and work for peace in the church here remind us of the perfect peace that we will know when that new jerusalem comes down out of heaven and on that throne is the lord our god and the lamb and he will reign in majesty forever let's pray